In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we gather uh, to celebrate the Reformation. And what that means is that today is not a celebration of German heritage. Uh, It's not a celebration of Midwestern culture. It's not a celebration of rebelling against the Catholic Church for the sake of rebellion. It's not a celebration of constant change or always reforming and keeping up with the times. And it's not even a celebration of the man, Martin Luther. The Reformation is not about any of these things. The Reformation is about Jesus. And it is about the confession of faith that the Christian has in his Lord, in Christ the Savior, who saves us from hell and damnation. Now, it is about the clear and solid and steadfast, unwavering confession of faith in Christ who has freely forgiven our sins apart from our works, apart from our doings, apart from our decisions, apart from our motivations. He has forgiven us by the wounds in his flesh through his bitter suffering and death. And so today we come together as a church to rejoice that even in the midst of all of the lies of the papacy, all of the false doctrine, all of the opposition and bloodshed, the word of God remains still even to today. Uh, In years past, I've preached on different aspects of the Reformation. I've preached on things leading up to the Reformation, things that maybe have caused it, uh, teachings from it, uh, things that happened in the life of Luther while he was alive, uh, like the nailing of the 95 Theses, the uh, Luther at the Diet of Worms, uh, the Augsburg Confession, things like this, uh, all to show you the value of the gospel, what they're actually confessing. But this year... I'm not going to preach on what happened during the Reformation, but what happened after, what happened afterwards. So Martin Luther died on February 18th in 1546 in Eisleben, Germany. Uh, The same happened to be the same place that he was born. And all these years, the Lutherans rallied behind this man, Martin Luther, who was the most fearless Uh, the most articulate, the most hardworking, intelligent theologian since the Apostle Paul, hands down. And now he's dead. In 1546, February 18th, he's dead. And so now what? Is the Lutheran church at peace? Do the people gather and are they fine? Uh, Do people finally just accept the gospel and move on and then leave the Lutherans alone? In fact, far from it. Four months, just four months after Luther died, the Roman Emperor Charles V teamed up with Pope, uh, the, uh, pope Paul III. And in, so one was the emperor, one was the pope. And in response to the Reformation, uh, to the preaching of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, they teamed up and they started something called the Counter-Reformation to fight back against it, against this preaching of the gospel. And they issued a mandate called the Augsburg Interim. All right, and that, that was actually on the 4th of July in 1546, they issued this mandate. Uh, the Pope made it public, and this is what it said uh, on the mandate that everyone was to obey. It says, it has always been our concern how to root out the weeds of godless doctrine. That's the gospel they're talking about. Of the godless doctrine, which the heretics, that is the Lutherans, have sowed throughout Germany. This is written specifically against this confession. 
The godless doctrine is that of the gospel. Now it has come to pass that by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, our dearest son in Christ, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, has decided to employ the sword against these enemies of God. We admonish all Christians to assist us in this war in order that the, good, that the godless heresy be rooted out. To each and all who do these things, we grant, the Pope and the Emperor, we grant the most complete indulgence and remission of all their sins. That is what was written, mandated. And so later in this decree, uh, it mandates that Lutherans are to change the service, to change it completely, to worship like Roman Catholics, to reinstitute the sacrifice of the Mass, uh, and even to stop preaching that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. That works must earn salvation. That is what needs to be preached. So what do you think happened? Uh, some Lutherans followed right along. This is very sad. They said, look, we don't want to cause any trouble. We heard what the emperor said. We heard what the pope says. We'll give up the gospel. We'll stop. Um, that's one group. Another group of Lutherans responded with a document called the Leipzig Interim, uh, which was a, a compromise. And they said essentially this, look, we're not going to change our doctrine, but we will change what it, our services look like and we'll change our practice. So we'll comply and do everything you say, but just know that inwardly in our hearts, we don't really mean it. <laughs> That's what the Leipzig Interim was, right? We'll look like this outwardly, but not really inwardly. Um, but still, that's a compromise. And then there's the third group of Lutherans. And what do you think they did? Well, that is where we come from. Uh, these are the ones who did not bow their knee to Caesar, to the emperor, or to the pope. They did not give up the gospel, neither publicly or privately. The pope and the emperor, when they heard this, that there were some rebelling, they didn't like it. And so what did they do? They sent armies. They sent soldiers to attack the faithful Lutherans who refused to compromise and to refuse to give up the gospel. These are, these are brothers and sisters who have the sword we, uh, held against them. Uh, sadly, when that happened, some Lutherans even caved and compromised then. And other Lutherans were driven out of their churches, out of their homes. They ran away. Uh, they fled to the north. Uh, so this is why we have so many uh, Lutherans in Denmark and Norway and Finland and Sweden. They fled north from Germany. And most cities gave up, and some of them stayed back to fight. And one of these cities was called Magdeburg. Uh, so in this sermon, I'm going to preach about two historical accounts about Lutherans who fought during this time, the ones who did not waver, who did not give up. And these events, uh, keep in your mind, I'm telling them uh, uh, in, in, in a chronology here, but they're happening simultaneously. One is happening in one place, one is at, uh, at the other at the same time, uh, in the same years. So first I'm going to talk about the city of Magdeburg, and uh, that this was a city that refused to compromise the gospel. Uh, they refused to give up Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. They said, we would rather die than 
tell us, than, than ever give up Christ and the gospel. So the Pope found out about this. He sent thousands of soldiers to surround that little city of Magdeburg. And the soldiers were there for over a year attacking it. And they kept demanding uh, the, the Lutherans there to worship like Roman Catholics, to give up the gospel, to preach uh, that works save, or else you'll be taken by force and imprisoned and then executed. Those were the rules. Uh, but the Lutheran pastors there, they would get into their pulpits each Sunday and they would say uh, something like, don't give up the faith to the people. Don't be afraid of their swords and these soldiers. Keep coming to church. Take care of your wife and your children. Protect them, but don't be discouraged because of this persecution. Uh, so the men of Magdeburg got together and they made weapons and they fortified their homes, and they defended their wives and children, and they resolved to fight like men and die rather than give up the gospel. Then in the face of all of this violence and onslaught from these Catholic armies, Magdeburg Magdeburg not only didn't compromise, but they actually withstood the enemies. And they they were outlawed three times, but they withstood all of the attacks. And eventually the emperor and the pope, they gave up. And then they withdrew the troops because Magdeburg was fighting back and protecting themselves. And they withstood it. Uh, But in those times, many, many dear Lutherans died in the fight. There were many families that were without fathers and without sons. But Magdeburg was never conquered. Now, the second account I want to tell you is that about a man named John Frederick I, who goes by the name of John Frederick the Magnanimous. And magnanimous means great spirit, one with great spirit, great soul. And he earned this name, and you're going to see why. Well, John Frederick uh, was the elector of Saxony uh, in northern Germany. And while he was the elector, the Catholic troops came in to seize the city, and the people fought back, and then there was a battle in Mühlberg, Germany. And John Frederick, instead of standing or staying in his office or sending people to fight, he actually was in the fight. He was on the front lines. And he, while he was fighting, he was struck in the face. And he has this, uh, if you see paintings of him, he has this great gash on his face that's dis- disfiguring his face. Uh, and that's from that battle. Uh, however, uh, unlike the city of Magdeburg, Saxony was taken over. And they captured John Frederick and they stripped him of the title of elector and they took away everything he had. He had a wife and a family uh, and they put him in jail. And while he's in jail, the Pope keeps pressuring John Frederick and the emperor to give up the gospel or we're going to kill you. Stop. You give this up and then everybody, then the dominoes are going to fall. We just need to convert you. And if we do that, then everybody else will give up the gospel too. Uh, But John refused to give in. And the emperor even told him, he said, look, I'll take you off of death row if you renounce the gospel. (laughs) Simple. And when John heard this, he said, I would rather lose my head and suffer Wittenberg to be battered down than to submit to a demand that violates my conscience. (laughs) Charles, uh, the emperor, he kept John in prison even longer and he kept in trying, to, uh, trying to entice him to change his mind. And so here you have poor John alone in prison, this Lutheran who's just confessing the same exact things that you just did, that you're saved by the forgiveness of sins um, freely. And all he has to do is say, I renounce the gospel. 
and he will be free. Just one word, revoco in Latin. I, I recant. I take it back. He doesn't even have to mean it. He could just be lying or pretending, and he would get his life back. Um, after some time thinking about it, all of this pressure mounts up, and all this time he's missing with his wife and his children. And what do you think he does? From prison, John writes a letter to the emperor, Charles V, and he says this. He says, I cannot refrain from informing your majesty, Charles, that since the days of my youth, I've been instructed and taught by the servants of God's word and by diligently searching the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. I've also learned to know, and this I testify as in the sight of God, unswervingly to adhere in my conscience to this, that the articles composing the Augsburg Confession and whatever is connected therewith are the correct, true, Christian, pure doctrine confirmed by and founded in the writings of the holy prophets and apostles and of the teachers who followed in their footsteps in such a manner that no substantial objection can be raised against it. Since now in my conscience I am firmly persuaded of this, I owe this, grateful, this gratefulness and obedience to God who has shown me such unspeakable grace that as I desire to obtain eternal salvation and escape eternal damnation, I do not fall away from the truth of his almighty will, which his word has revealed to me and which I know to be the truth. For such is the comforting and also terrible word of God, whosoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. If I should acknowledge and adopt the interim as Christian and godly, I would have to condemn and deny against my own conscience knowingly and maliciously the Augsburg Confession and whatever I have heretofore held and believed concerning the gospel of Christ and approve with my mouth what I regard in my heart and conscience as altogether contrary to the holy and divine scriptures. This, O oh my God in heaven, would indeed be misusing and cruelly blaspheming thy holy name, for which I would have to pay all too dearly with my soul. That's the letter he wrote to Charles. Uh, meanwhile, John Frederick is in prison and his wife, Sibylla, is at home with her children and they couldn't see John, they couldn't talk to him. Eventually, Charles V tells uh, Sibylla, his wife, renounce the gospel, you, and you'll probably convince him. And if she didn't, then I'm going to kill your husband and probably your sons. And what do you think she did? <laughs> she told her sons, no matter what happens, don't give in. She encouraged them to be Lutherans, even unto death to hold to the gospel. After all of this, <clears throat> Charles V was furious with John uh, and his family, so he ordered that the soldiers remove the Bible and all theological writings uh, by Luther that John had in his prison cell. And uh, John Frederick had the most extensive uh, collection of works at the time. And John said this, he said, you can take the word out of my room, but you cannot take the word out of my heart. And then this was the last straw. Charles V has enough of it. And while John is in prison, he's playing chess with another uh, inmate. And while he's playing, a soldier goes to the prison and finally says, Charles, John, Charles is going to execute you. This is for real this time. This is your last chance. Recant or die. And between these two options, either renounce the gospel and live or die in the faith. What do you think he said? 
He says, all right then, if those are the conditions, just let me say farewell to my wife and children because I'm not doing the other thing. I will not give it up. And after that, right after he said that, he went back to playing chess and he says, let's finish the game. It's your move. And he continued. Uh, Then Charles V realized that John is not budging, but it's also going to look very bad if he kills this man innocently, that he wouldn't budge an inch. So he changed the death sentence into life in prison. Uh, Later, that word got out and there was a revolt. And after five years in prison, John Frederick was released on September 1st, 1552. And for the first time in five years, he saw his wife and his sons again uh, after all of that. Now, I could go on and on. There are many accounts like this. Uh, Here's a few others. There's the account of the old pastor being forced to renounce the gospel with the Augsburg Interim. And while, uh, while he's standing in front of Agricola, the guy who wrote it, uh, Ludinger, who's this pastor, he says, he takes the interim in his hand and he says, look, I love Agricola, you who wrote it, and more than him, I love my elector, John Frederick, but most of all, I love Christ. And he threw it into the flames of the fireplace and burned it. Um, there's the account of the Lutheran Jacob Sturm, who was threatened to be burned at the stake, and he said, indeed, you may kill people by fire, but even in this way, you can't force away the faith. Uh, There's the account of Nicholas von Amsdorf, who's Luther's friend, who was threatened with death. And while other Lutherans were wavering, all of these things are happening at the same time, uh, wanting to give him, he stands up and he tells the other Lutherans, he says, we Lutherans remain with our teaching and faith forever. This I know for certain, because the word of the Lord endures forever. To Rome and to Cologne, I say, here you will find only defiance. And later he said, I will persevere in this confession and putting everything else behind, look forward to being able to participate in eternal joy after this wretched, sorry, sorry and troubled life. Uh, Again, like I said, there's so many accounts of this. And some of these Lutherans went on to live long lives. Some died at a young age. Some died on the battlefield with this confession in their heart. Others died in prison. Some lived peaceful lives. Others lived in sorrow and misery. Some Lutherans enjoyed their family and their children and their wife. And others lost them all. And the reason I'm preaching all of this to you is so that you learn this. That no matter what happened to them, They were all victorious, all of them. Even those whose lives ended tragically with a spear in their heart or sword in their side who died alone on the battlefield, they were never conquered. Consider that. And this is because the victory that you have as a Christian is not in the outcome of the conflict. The victory you have is in your confession. And this means that whether you have a comfortable life or one that is plagued by conflict, a life of pain or a life of sorrow, a life of acceptance or rejection, whether you win or you lose, whether you live or you die, your victory is in Christ alone. In all of these things, you are more than conquerors. 
And this is exactly what our dear brother Luther writes in, in that hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that we just sang at the beginning of the service. He wrote this. He says, the devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us. We tremble not, we fear no ill. They shall not overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged, the deed is done. One little word can fell him. The word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And here it is. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Though these all be gone, what? Our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. Whether those things, those external things are there or not. So dear saints, dear Lutherans, you who hold Christ dear in your heart, you, hold, you who hold his forgiveness for you far above anything else in this world. You have been blessed by this confession of faith because flesh and blood has not revealed it to you but your dear Father in heaven. The Lord Jesus has spilled his blood for you. So when the day comes that you would have to spill your blood for him, know that you're only doing what he already did for you first. You're only joining the ranks of those before you following your, your dear Lord, your Savior, Christ. And remember that the gospel remained even through terrible persecution. And it wasn't because of Luther. And it wasn't because of John Fred, Frederick or Magdeburg or any such thing. It was only because of Jesus, who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So hold this confession dear. You are not saved by your works or anything you can do. You are saved from your sin and from hell and eternal damnation only by the blood of Christ the Lord. So drive it deep into your heart so that you can't forget it. Drive it deep into the heart of your children, even with tears if you have to. Don't shrink back for a moment. Suffer all, even death, rather than fall away. If you give up this confession, even if you live, you have lost everything. But if you make this confession, even if you die, you gain everything. Because Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So God be praised this day. This life may not go as you wanted. It may not happen as you imagined. You may have more or less trouble than you thought. You may live or you may die. But this dear confession in Christ comes at a price and may cost you your life. But no matter the outcome of this poor life, Christ lives. And because he lives, you are more than a conqueror. You are victorious and you will not be put to shame. Our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.